Hi, uh, welcome everyone to the Dicing with Design podcast. Uh, here we have Grant Sensei, and I'm joined by. It's Joe J. Prince here. <clears throat> uh huh, and it sounds uh, uh, looks like we'll not be joined by Colin tonight, but uh, I'm sure he'll be rejoining us in the future. He's uh, a little. A little knacked out by by baby boy uh, this month, I think. The hard work these babies, I tell you. Ah, looks easy to me. (laughs) (laughs) Stick a dummy in it. (laughs) That's that's what you do. Have you watched your super nanny again? (laughs) No, I have not. It doesn't appeal to me because I don't have no interest in children. What I am you- a, I, I'm, a, I'm a teacher, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, right, this week then we'll be uh, doing a, a, a recap of what we've been getting up to uh, at the Compulsion event in Edinburgh, uh, Scotland's biggest gaming convention, uh, and talking in particular about uh, one of the games we, we, we played there. Uh, which is Mobile Frame Zero. And uh, going from there to talk about, uh, it's quite a rules-like game. So we're going to talk about you know, the pros and cons of having uh, rules-heavy games versus rule-light games. That's right. Yeah, yeah, the need for system mastery versus a very simple system, which is like Mobile Frame Zero. Okay, so uh, first of all, let's start with uh, what we've been what we've been doing, which will will all lead into our main topic. But uh, what have you been up to, Mr. Prince? Um, I've had quite a few games since last time, since last podcast. We we had our uh, day of gaming didn't we, when you came through to the the shed of dread. Um, My day of defeat. <laughs> day of defeat, as we like to to tag it. I've got some good good games in there. Played uh, some Warhammer. Thousand Point Battle, um, Blood Bowl. It's good to get a game Blood Bowl. I've not played that for ages. Mm-hmm. Um, in which, yeah, you were there was a flaw in your trying to do a passing game with the orcs didn't didn't work terribly well. <laughs> I tried to do two passes, which I think was two passes too many. Damn straight. Um, um, we played some Game of Thrones living card game. We? And we played some Dungeon Duelist, which is a game of mine in development card game, which is uh, based on a similar system to Pro Wrestling Battle Royale card game that I've got out. So it's a fantasy version of that. Um, mm-hmm. And because I finally got my prototype deck through, so I've been enjoying getting a few test games of that in. Um, so far, it's been uh, it's been pretty good fun. There's plenty of things I think could do with with tweaks. Mm-hmm. Um, so, probably focus on that on a, a future episode then, and see the break down the uh, Dungeon Duelists design anatomy. Okay. And where it's at. Yeah, and then we moved on to compulsion. Uh, I think actually for that, it's very, it's very similar between you and I what what we've been playing because uh, we had that day yeah. in which and let, let let's repeat you had a great day, but. You did beat me at absolutely everything. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, that weekend. Yeah, yeah, that was yeah. I was on a roll. <laughs> uh, right, we'll take that on to compulsion. Uh, and on Saturday morning, uh, we played Mobile Frame Zero. More on that later. Uh, but Saturday and Sunday morning, I played with played Mobile Frame Zero, the uh, Lego miniatures game. 
which has recently been well last year was kick started and is is now available for for purchase mm -hmm. uh, in the afternoon you ran your well you ran uh, a game of eternal contenders yeah as eternal contenders is uh, I had a pre-release copies on sale at compulsion and the, the full release is coming soon but there's been some last minute problems with some of the files so annoyingly having to go back in and try and fix them sort them out but it will be here soon and it'll be worth the wait and, it's nearly uh, there yep. it's nearly there yeah and that's a good game at compulsion because it's always um, running con games is always a bit a bit strange I find because you know, you're just playing with a bunch of people who just turn up on the day you don't know them often they don't know each other um, so it can make for quite a, a you know, a different dynamic uh, than normal, but uh, I think it went it went pretty well. We got the whole the whole game, the whole story cycle in in the um, three and a half hour slot or whatever it was. I had to you know rush it a little bit at the end just mm -hmm. to get the, the final the final tournament and the final uh, duels in. But um, everyone's story concluded. I found it quite satisfying, and it was it was good fun. To just uh, throw down. Been a while since I've, I've run it, so I think I've probably got some of my rules wrong. But I think that, that happens in most games. <laughs> it certainly happens when I play it. I'm sure. Um, <laughs> yeah, good stuff. And again, more on that later. We will have an Eternal Contenders. We will have an Eternal Contenders uh, episode sometime soon when we get the full release. But it's good to know that it's you can. Yeah, it you... worked. It worked in, the, in that con environment with people who didn't know the game at all. So I was just kind of facilitating. I wasn't playing a character, um, and people had different styles and different approaches. But uh, it, it came together well, and we had some good, memorable moments, some good duels, some interesting characters coming out of it. And I was pleased with it. Yeah. Well, the fact that there is that inbuilt uh, resolution system uh, that you will get a, a resolution in, in the end is is good. Uh, a limited, uh, you know, a, not a time limit, but but uh, yeah, it helps having that kind of end game trigger, so you know that yeah. you're always pushing towards that. And um, I gave the, the players all the chance to. I'd done pre-generated stats, but I gave them the option of coming up with their own connections, their own um, things that their characters cared about. Yeah, the important um, bits. Yeah, exactly. So that, that got a bit uh, better buy-in and helped the stories round off one way or another, mostly badly, has to be said. <laughs> out, of the, out of the five players, I think four of them ended up with a, yeah, greater pain than hope, so <laughs> the darkest fears <laughs> came true. <laughs> Which, as I said before, is pretty... Uh... Is pretty uh, familiar, really, <laughs> but oh, it can be it can be more interesting to lose. Uh, yeah, it's, yeah, it's pretty cool. At least at least two of the players definitely weren't weren't really bothered or were quite kind of happy to get that dark ending and did kind of gone on a monstrous path anyway. Like one of them was playing the dark friend who was consumed by his demon power and he'd pretty much already given up on his hope, which was to protect this part of the city. That yeah. That he was just you know, he would he would become the monster that stalked the night there <laughs> and fed on people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um so yeah, uh can't wait for that for for that coming out and is doing doing our review uh the full review on that okay so next up is uh well while you're doing that i was playing the elder sign uh dice game on the saturday afternoon with uh uh one of the guys from it from aberdeen um who'd come down for for the weekend uh with his um slightly altered rules uh, just to expand the game out a bit 
which is fun. Uh, I, I like that game. Um, I don't know if it tells much of a story. Uh, you do. The, the dice all have symbols on them which are supposed to mean something. Uh, the, you get an hourglass on the dice that means clues. You have a scroll that, I mean, I can't remember what the scroll is. I think skulls mean, or tentacles mean monsters. It winds up not really being much of a narrative, but... Right, I, I mean, I don't know anything about this this game. Um, I know of, like, it's, the, there's an Elder Sign board game, so that's different. This sounds like Cthulhu Yahtzee. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah I think... Yeah, it, it's good, but you wind up just looking for looking for pictures on the dice rather than thinking in terms of what is supposed to be happening in the fluff. Uh, but, yeah, that, that was fun, and, uh, yeah, it's a fun game. Uh, like Carcassonne, I do think I... I keep saying that I only like the games of the narrative, but then I really like that, and I really like... It is fun, and I also like uh, uh, Carcassonne, even though there's no story in that whatsoever. You're just building up tiles on 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 the page, and it's still fun. Um, and we did a bit of playtesting with, with uh, Dungeon Duelist, so Grunt from uh, Aberdeen was uh, helping helping us out with that, and uh, um, some helpful feedback for you on that one. Uh, oh, something else on Saturday, I spoke. I managed to speak to. Uh, David Kerr Smith from the uh, Tartan, was it the Tartan Skirmish Radio? So I'll have to give them a listen. Uh, he's uh, he's doing a Malifaux podcast. Um, so I had a good chat with him, and uh, make sure and, and, and give and give that a listen. Uh, Malifaux is something that, especially with the fluff, I've been really um, want, wanting to try out. Um, I don't know about cards and war games, but I'll. But I'll certainly have a certainly have a, a, a look at, at that, um, and give him a listen. So shout out to David uh, there. Um, then day two, uh, after watching a disappointing WrestleMania that night, uh, Collins. That's a bit disappointing, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, but uh, anyway, um, the next day I got in another game of World Frame Zero, uh, and with your new knowledge of the tactics, you were able to achieve. Lose again. Lose. <laughs> <laughs> uh, mobile frame zero again with, with with Colin the next day. Yep, and I lost. And then uh, Colin and I uh, took in a, a panel discussion on the the future of games. Mm-hmm. With and I don't know where to begin with that. There was all sorts of talk about. Um, I, I didn't quite realize how many different types of LARPing there there are. Uh, you can be out in the field, you can be in a building, you can have thousands of people or several people involved. And what I really liked about that discussion was was the talk about uh, alternative reality games, or what I think they were called. ARGs, yeah. Yeah. They still go in. They were like really big a few years ago, weren't they? They got a lot of publicity. I guess they probably are still going and stuff. Well, wow. it's it's something that's kind of passed me by. I feel like there lots of people knew lots about all of it, and I I, I felt kind of behind the game on it. Um, you know, and 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 with the use of technology, you can be hunting people down in 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 the woods. If you you and a bunch of mates can go into the woods with a very simple app on your on your phone, um, and be trying to track each other down and there's very simple sort of proximity detector and you find someone then it's basically hide and seek type thing uh, but a little more advanced than, than that was what someone was talking about um there is one cautionary tale about a woman who bought a car from i think it was toyota and then it going completely end up 
having a breakdown because she was being contacted by them playing by these fictional characters after after all she'd done is bought a car. She hadn't bought into a uh, augmented reality game but or yeah. turned to reality game, but um they put her in one. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a bit of a of a ethical uh, grey area, slightly dark area, like uh, non yeah. You have forcing someone into a game without their knowledge or consent. Yeah. That does sound a bit scary. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then in the afternoon, um, went along to the board game area, and Colin and I uh, played a game of Memoir 44, uh, which is Fantasy Flight. No, sorry, Days of Wonder uh, there, uh, World War II, uh, sort of large scale board game. So you're controlling units. Uh, you, uh, individual, individual units over a hex board. Very streamlined. Um, we're dealing with 15 units and each game we played lasted about 10 minutes. Just the introductory scenario seemed pretty cool. It seemed pretty simple. Um, so we definitely bear another another play, I think. Um, oh, and we uh, didn't talk to as many people as I'd like to. I don't think I talked no. to any. Uh, I, need, I really really wanted to uh, speak to the nearly enough dice folk and it always seemed that either I was heavily engrossed in a game and saw saw them wandering about wandering by or or, or vice versa yeah. uh, Colin and I even sat playing memoir 44 I, th- I think we're right behind Mike who was, who was role-playing at the time and he he was well engrossed in the Sunday afternoon and he uh, so yeah there were a lot but, of podcasters at compulsion maybe next year we should try and get some sort of podcast a meetup or something that'd yeah. be quite a cool thing to do just have actually timetable because like you say otherwise you just end up in games or I'm, I was on the collective endeavor booth so I was up in the trade hall for quite a lot of the time um, yeah I mean I was playing I played a lot of games but I, f- I felt like I hardly did anything <laughs> you know but we were playing games the whole time oh, I was playing games anyway the, nearly the whole time there I know you were on the booth but I, f- I felt like I'd hardly done anything uh, yeah um, but uh, yeah, I did speak to Shaz from. Uh, well, we all spoke to Shaz from uh, Central Belt Pickup Gamers. Mm-hmm. If you're looking for a yeah. pickup game in, yep, and if you're looking for a pickup game in Central Scotland, then um, have a look for uh, Central Belt Pugs on Facebook. Yeah, it was it was cool to meet him. Yeah, he was running demos of Blood Bowl. Uh, but is that our compulsions? I think that's that's enough. Oh, I was nominated for Griffey, but didn't win. Uh. <laughs> Lost out to Indie Gerps. I mean, Dungeon World. Well, they they have the benefit that they they they've been released, I suppose. But uh, yeah, it does have a tiny bit of hype. Dungeon World. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how many thousand on their Kickstarter. Ridiculous <laughs> amount. <laughs> yeah. Oh well. Uh, are you eligible for next year? Do you think? Yes. Definitely. <laughs> just keep just keep throwing it just keep throwing it keep in there. Throwing it yeah. in there. Every year. <laughs> or I'll have something new, something new and fabulous for next year. Absolutely. Maybe they redone Hell for Leather in a really fat book so people buy it. Instead yeah, of, no. instead of not, not paying a pound for not paying a pound for a role playing game. They just put it out with about three hundred pages of filler. <laughs> and uh, yeah, sell it for thirty quid. Hardback. Yeah. <laughs> mainly just mainly just the hard back and the hard front and yeah. inside. That's it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, I think that's uh, that's us for what we've been up to. 
uh, move on to our, our sort of main topic. Yes. Okay. We, we need jingles. So, should we start with mobile frame? Let's start with mobile frame zero then. What, what, do, you, what do you think of mobile frame zero? You played two games of it. I, I played one game. I've played three games. You played of it. three yeah. games. No, no, not this weekend. But I've oh, played, you played one last year. Played one last year. Uh, loved it, and uh, going back to it, uh, come back to it with a couple of games uh, in this year's compulsion as well. Uh, kindly run by uh, by Malcolm and uh, and and Joe um, Joe Murphy. Mm-hmm. Uh, are they are they ever going to uh, promote one of their own games at Compulsion? That would be a Probably not. I don't know. <laughs> well, really there's people to do that sort of thing for him these days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it's it's a miniatures game with Lego. It is. The Lego miniatures game. Um, I, I can remember when it first came into existence. Um, must have been about 2006 or so when Vincent Baker started designing it. And he, in fact, ran... A little gamey gamey's competition online um, as he was doing it to so say like I like playing non role playing games board games war games whatever um, and a few people scribbled down ideas and sent stuff in and that was actually where I started working on Fragtown mm-hmm. my idea for a, for a generic skirmish war game thing um, which ended up having a few similarities with Mechaton even though I didn't know what Mechaton's mechanics were at that point um, and that, yeah that's what we should say at that point it was called Mechaton and then after several years of development there was some sort of uh, copyright issue where someone else who does some sort of gaming thing that's quite well known, I can't remember who it was but anyway he owned the right to Mechaton in Japan or something odd like that so, so Vincent had to change it to Mobile Frame Zero which I, I I like I like mobile frame be- mobile frame zero better actually. Yeah, it, mobile frame zero is it's a it's a good name. I mean I prefer Mechaton, and you do prefer referring to your little robots as mechs rather than mobile frames. But yeah, mobile frame zero is fine. It works, um, and and it's available for free for download. Really? Yeah, you can get the PDF for free. I think that must have been one of the. Kickstarter stretch goals, maybe or something. You can, okay. you can download the PDF for free, and you can order the book online. Um, not it's a nice, look, it's a nice looking book. It's yeah, it looks good. It's like um, it looks like a manual, doesn't it? it looks like a, a technical manual for a yeah, like Haynes' um, giant mech mech manual. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, it's, it's well designed. Designed by Joshua A.C. Newman, um, who, who's taken on the project. I think in the after Vincent did most of the mechanics. I think Joshua has done most of the layout and design and uh, polished polished it up. And yeah, like you say, it's got a, it's got a good distinctive look to it. Mm-hmm. Although I think I suspect it'd be annoying to fit on your bookshelf. <laughs> it won't. Well, it, just putting no. your just putting your gaming box along with your along with all your Legos. Uh, right. Where do we start in terms of the Legos. mechanics? Then? There you. <laughs> you just pluralize Lego. It's unacceptable in a UK-based podcast. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Here's how, that's how much I care. Um, 
where will we start in terms of the in terms of uh, the mechanics? Then should we start with what picking your force? Um, yeah, and building your Legos. I did it again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Tell us about like, your Legos, Joe. Okay, so I, despite having a child, well, I've got a child who's under a year old, so I don't have any Lego at the moment. Oh, I used to have tons as a kid, obviously. Yeah. Um, so that's the first hurdle for me, because well, I don't have Lego, but I do have a Tau army for Warhammer 40k with a fully painted battle mech type things. So yeah. I'm going to ask if I can use them. I'm going to magnetize them up so the weapons are removable and ask and use them in a game of, of yeah. turn. So if you have... Allowed. <laughs> well, I couldn't can, can see why not. I don't think Lego's specified... Malcolm might get grumpy. That's why not. <laughs> um, <laughs> we're, we're not trying Good to response. win friends in this podcast, are we? <laughs> It's well, no, because he, he's going to be running or is organising a, a mobile frame zero um, event, hopefully. Yes, yeah, so I saw tournament or um, story event narrative campaign. I don't know, whatever. So um, you know, it depends if he's cool with me using minis, forty k minis or not, or otherwise I'll just have to try and get a lot of leg off eBay or something. Yeah. I, mean, I would quite like to try and build some mechs, but like I said, I haven't got any. Lego. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, it's worth saying that the the point in this is you're you're building up uh, robots uh, using your Lego um, with different features on them. Yes. Uh, and there's four types of four types of feature, aren't there? So four. Let me think. There's, right, there's armor, movement, spotting, and I suppose weapons. And there's three different kinds of weapons, are there? Ah, good point. Yeah, because yeah. you can have. Uh, yeah, close, so you have combat. close combat, direct fire, which is uh, shooting. Yep, and shooting. artillery. Yeah, which is long range shooting, railguns and barrages and long range missiles and stuff, isn't it? Uh, oh, and you have single shot rockets as well, and they they don't take up a weapon system, do they? But you only have three per yep. per army, and that's it, right? Uh, yeah. That's, that's it. it. That that's all your that's, that's choice. All your thing. All you choose is how many mech, how many frames you have. Well, of course, the mechs are called frames, as we mentioned. Uh, how many frames you have, and whether they have single or double attachments on them. That's what we call your, your yeah, these upgrades. Yeah, um, mech can carry four. Yeah, it's four attachments. I think they can carry, can't they? Yep. Yeah, four is like a fully loaded up one. Yeah, so you can have like double direct shooting movement and armor, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So naturally, you're going to want to take, and you can, well, you can have them each at level one or level two, or single or double attachment. So you have a hand-to-hand or a double hand-to-hand attachment, and they'll give you different bonuses. And naturally, you want to get uh, your maximum of five mechs and put four attachments on them, yep, on each one. Except the, the game has got a very clever balancing mechanic whereby you, you work out how much your company's uh, worth and you do that, com- it's done comparatively against whoever you're playing. So if you've brought five mechs and someone else has brought, brought four, then all their mechs go up in value by a point and all yours go down in value by a point. Um, and that gives you your starting victory points for the game. Yeah. So if you've brought more mechs, you start off losing. 
Yeah. Yeah, exactly. If you, whoever uh, it's balanced, so whoever's got the stronger force starts off with less victory points, uh, making them the attacker. So they have to go on the offensive to change the the standings and uh, and win. Okay, so I think we'll go from there. And just like with any with any any of the best design games, I think you 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 kind of have to everything's inter interlinked. Okay, so we're going for the force from the force organization. Um, and picking a force into let's go into the turn structure now because um, who goes first? Yeah, and again the turn structure it's tied into the force organisation. That's that's where the balance comes in. Like whoever's got the defender, which is um, ostensibly the weakest force on the table, uh, gets initiative. They always get initiative. They mm -hmm. get to go first. Whoever's got because um, they've got the highest victory points, so they get initiative. They get to choose which of their mechs to activate first um, or they can pass and it, it's always like that throughout the game but the clever thing is if someone else gets ahead on victory points then they get that that bonus of gaining the initiative and they and they become the defender as in they're in the lead at that point okay so I pick a mech and I decide what I'm going to do with them the only thing you have, uh, you're gonna roll dice aren't you you're gonna roll dice you're gonna roll lots of different colored dice yeah yeah, which is good. Roll the red dice for damage, and the blue dice for your armor, and green for movement, and yellow for spotting. Uh huh. And then you roll dice. I don't think we need to go into too much detail. Basically, you roll more dice and bigger dice if you have attachments for yeah. that thing. That's it. But yeah, the idea is that you you roll your dice for your mech, and then you assign them into different categories. And if they're colored dice, they can only be used for that thing. But the, the white wild dice can be used for anything. So you have to prioritize what's more important for that mech. Do you want to put a really high roll into armor to keep you safe, or is it important to get that damage out there, or do you really need to move and get across to the objective? So that's that's quite nice. That's already a bit of, of strategy and thinking. You know, what's the best way to set up this? Yeah. This guy stats for the round because they change round by round. Yeah. So with your movement, that tells you how many units that you move. When I say units, you you have you have a ruler built out of Lego, which yeah. shows you your range. You have a range ruler that's built out of four stud long um, Lego pieces. Are they four yeah. studs long. Yep. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't got the. I think it's, it's either four or five. Anyway. Yeah. Anyway, it's, it's built. Your range ruler is built yeah. out of out, out of Lego. Yeah. If, uh, I think this rules for changing. It depends on the size of the table. I think you scale it up or down. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Right. So we have we have that. Um, uh, so you you use your green dice or maybe one of your wild dice to 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 move that. Use your red dice. You'll move, use your blue dice. Uh, your armor to and put that down next to your mech, and that stays there the whole turn. So you've got this nice um, instead of dealer having to write it down on a bit of paper, instead of having to uh, put it down in some sort of um, card for your mech, mm. you you have like almost like a token, almost like um, yeah, there's very like in a computer game where you have a number floating above their head. You've got a dice, nice blue dice, color coded, sitting there as a marker, which I really like. Then you're yeah. gonna put you're gonna move and you're gonna put the red dice. Next to your opponent, opponent's mech, when you're sh attacking them, shooting at them, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. That's that's the nice thing. That there's, there's very little bookkeeping in the game, other than the the victory points. That's all you've got to keep track of, really. Who's you know everyone's current victory point total, so who's winning at the moment? Yeah, um, but yeah, individual mechs, you don't track. You just you take the bits off them when they get hit, so you know if they've been damaged or not. 
Yeah, uh, so you you put the red dice on, and what happens now? Uh, well, that's a, a clever bit of the game's design. That when you're shooting an enemy mech that hasn't been activated that turn, you you don't know how hard it is is to hit him because he hasn't got an armor value yet. So, if you're attacking a mech that the one the defender gets activated, and the player controlling that mech then does the same thing, rolls his dice, decides who he's attacking, and assigns his dice to the different categories, uh, including armor, and then depending on what he assigns to armor, either the shot that you made against him will be good enough to do damage or won't be and will bounce off. Yeah, so it's a completely integrated turn here. Yeah. Uh, it's not a, I'll move all my guys, get my artillery in, shoot all your all your stuff off the table, and then... Uh, and and then yeah. you get to attack me with whatever's left the person who goes second is now moving into the second mech, it's an uh, integrated turn and that's good, that's exciting it's, it's well, it, there's a similar system I believe for Infinity, the game and their, their strap line is always it's always your turn ah uh, right I see, uh, yeah and it just certainly adds another dimension to the game in that you've got to think that through then like if I shoot at him then he's going to activate so he might be able to get closer to my other guy who I don't want attacked and attack that or whatever so it's it's nicely done that it, it adds that extra extra tactical element and um, yeah and it isn't just one person moving everything and it isn't as simple as just alternating activation it's you know it follows either the victory point passing structure or when someone gets shot he gets to go mm -hmm. and the order is one of the reasons why the order is more important is, is really important because we talked about the we talked about spotting we've not really gone over exactly what spotting does because if you have a spotting attachment usually by a funky antenna uh, you can model a funky antenna or 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 a little probe that floats around by your by your mech, uh, which will which will allow you to roll one of the yellow dice. Uh, so what does that do? Uh, that if if a mech's been spotted, they've um, kind of been been targeted. I think of it as like a, having a target lock on them, and then if they get shot at in that round, basically the the yellow dice acts as a bonus to whoever's shooting at them. So they kind of get picked out first. And then gun down, and and it can give it can be a really big bonus because normally if some if someone has a, an armor of six they're safe like nothing can hurt them that round like they can't be touched. But yeah. if they get spotted, then all of a sudden they're vulnerable again because um, instead of it being limited to um, six being the best you can roll, it's now two d six, so it's now it's now twelve. So whatever you roll plus whatever the spot is. Oh, I should mention that there are D8s, so if you've got a 6, you're not technically completely safe. Someone might roll a 7 or an 8 if they've got a special thing that lets them have it. Yeah, because you, you roll D8s if you have, say, a, a, an extra or a double attachment, as usually you get to roll a D8. So if you have two uh, two close combats or, or, or two direct fire upgrades, then you'll be rolling. A, you'll probably be rolling a, a, a red D8 along, along with your dice pool. Yeah. So ideally, what you've got there then is what, what the what you really want to happen is you're moving your mech first. He's got spot. He's going to go up to he's going to go up to an opposing mech. He's going to try and damage them, but he'll also maybe also put 
a yellow dice on them, a, a spot dice on them. That yeah. will persist. That will stay with the targeted mech. That mech will move, then be activated and do its thing, your enemy mech. You're then going to hope it's going to come back to you. Mm-hmm. Or if you're a defender, you know it's going to come back to you. After, you know, Because you've got the highest victory points. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It'll come back to you, and then you're going to look at what's uh, been painted, what which which uh, which frame has got a yellow dice on it, and that's vulnerable because your first mech's targeted it, and you're going to try and shoot that to add you, the value in the yellow dice to the value in your red dice and, and give you a better attack. Yeah, so there's that kind of daisy chain effect, as they call it, um, and it, it does make a lot of sense. You guys have to work together to get the best results. Yeah, you get that real feeling that that you've got a squad of a squad of guys or a, or a squad of 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 mechs working on working all together. If if it all comes, if if your plans all come off. Yeah, exactly. Is. And and in a nutshell, that's pretty much it. That's the game, and uh, there's objectives to take as well, aren't there? Bases. Um, but that's that's pretty much it, and that's kind of the the beauty of it. It's very simple. Very easy to learn, yeah. um, you know, because it breaks things down into the wide categories. It's just, there's just there's only three types of weapon: hand-to-hand, direct fire, and uh, artillery, long range. Um, so there's not like a book of different guns to to pour through. Yeah. Um, which is where it's it's at the completely opposite end of the spectrum to something like 40k. Yeah. I was actually thinking we we were about we must be only about halfway through explaining the game and thinking, uh, no, no, we're not. That 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 is it. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> um, one more one more thing is the type the doomsday clock. Oh yeah, the that, doomsday clock. That's important. Yeah, I should mention that. Yeah. So you got a D twelve to to use as the the turn counter. You start off with a possible twelve turns being played, but at the end of the turn, uh, what happens? At the end of the turn, the Doomsday Clock always ticks down one, and then every player also has the option of either ticking it down one or leaving it as it is. So if you're ahead on victory points, you can you want the game to end faster, so you want to kind of tick that clock down. Or if you think you're going to be able to swing it around and, and get control the next turn, then you might want to tick it down and uh, make the game end quicker. Mm-hmm. And that really is it, isn't it? And damages, you know, your damage you can if you're in there's the rule for cover where you can blast away bits of the cover and rules about just how many Lego bricks you take off of the cover. So you can actually blow someone's cover out, um, even if you're not damaging them. Uh you uh what else is there? Fives or sixes to do damage, so each dice is about one in three chance of, of wound in an enemy mech. Uh, hand-to-hand combat's a bit more deadly, isn't it? It's uh, four plus yeah. to, to do a wound. Um, and that's that's pretty much it. And there's no kind of pinning or anything. You don't get pinned in combat or anything like that, do you? You can jump out, but I suppose you're in big robot battle suits, so maybe they're just powerful enough that they don't get locked in combat. So. Uh, yeah, but you wind up being chased down, yeah. So I think, well, that is, that is Mobile Frame Zero. And uh, I heartily approve of it, and and recommend people have a go. Uh, and yeah. if you're in and if you're in Scotland, there's an event coming up, uh, possibly quite soon in the summer, which uh, 
Yes, check out the Mobile Frame Zero Google Plus page thingamabob for details on that. Oh, there's a thingamabob. I didn't know there was a Google Plus thing. Yeah, there's Google Plus, yeah. Okay, I'm, I'm now following Malcolm and uh, and 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 Joe, so I'll uh, I'll make sure and make sure and follow on on Google. So I'll make sure and so yeah, on Google and on on Twitter, I'll make sure and follow them. Follow that page. Um, okay, one thing I was wanting to go back to, mm-hmm. um, just thinking about uh, Mobile Frame Zero. See that act that activation based. You know, the, not the you go I go, but but. An Integrated yeah. t- turn and uh, based on 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 reaction to being shot, or reaction to having an action done against you. I mean, is that is, was that always in the design? Um, I'm not sure if it was in the very first version of it. I'm not entirely sure. I'm trying to track back. So yeah. you hear a lot. There's a lot of like I was mentioning Infinity there. I think Carnival. Valley might work something like that as well, um, but a lot of modern games do work with an integrated turn and and uh, reaction system. And I was just wondering where 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 the heck that came from, because I think was Infinity been probably around. How long's Infinity be going on? I think it's probably no more than sort of five years or something like that. And I'll need to check on my facts here, but um, I was just wondering where it came from because it seems if it did come out, then it would have been one of the early examples of 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 that. I can't think of any other games which which had a reaction system um, like that. No, I can't think of any of them. I'm sure this probably is like a, a history of various war games that we're not aware of where it's been been used. But uh, yeah. in Mobile Frame Zero, it makes sense because you have to do it because you have to activate in order to get your defense score. Yeah, it is not a static to, to hit score or something like that. So yeah, uh, which is what's cool about it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I'll, I'll I'll check my facts on that and 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 have a look then. Uh, just just a just a bit for interest. Okay, so um, so that's one end of, of the spectrum of of war games of incredibly simple. Really simple design, uh, not many rules to learn, um, kind of generic miniatures, I suppose, or generic types. Yeah. Um, and contrasted to something like 40k, which is probably the you know, sci-fi, whatever, whatever they call it, future fantasy yeah. game that I know yeah. the best. And that's at the completely different end of the, of the scale in terms of, of system mastery. It says like to get good at 40k, you need to learn so much. You need to know so much yeah. about the specifics of the game, of the individual units, of the individual weapons, um, you know, of the special rules of who has what special rule and what exactly it does. Yeah, and then not only they not only your own, but also knowing your opponents as well is a huge thing. Knowing yeah. what you're up against. So, yeah. to master a game, sort of for for tournament level, say, you would actually really need to be familiar with every single faction that's in that's in the game. Yeah, you would, and I, and I guess if you were gonna if you were gonna do that by going to Games Workshop and buying all the codices, yes. How much should that cost? 
Well, they're coming out. They're coming in at thirty quid now. The, the and probably they're going to have a price increase. Well, I should expect the price increase by now. Uh, you know, they're so thirty quid now, aren't they? Or you yes. think they're going to go for even more than thirty quid? I, I'm guessing thirty quid. Uh, it's thirty quid for the recent ones. So I'm guessing they're all going to go up to thirty quid. Certainly for if they're if they're hardbound. Um, yeah. So thirty pounds. Thirty pounds multiplied by how many forty k codices? I don't know. About it's 15, like something probably. like fifteen for for yeah. fantasy, so something like that. Uh, yeah, so that's about, like four hundred fifty. Eight different marine factions out there. Yeah, how yeah. Many, how many are there? It's ultramarines, space wolves, <laughs> blood angels, dark angels, black templars, grey knight. Yeah, aye. And they're they're that's and then you have the the ally. They're allies. The imperial guard. The imperial guard. That's, yeah, so and that's, they're that's all supposed nine, to be on the same side. Yeah, so that's nine loyalist codexes. Anyway, back to the cost of, that, of all that will be <laughs> a some, lot. What? Some like four hundred and fifty quid. Yeah, it will be at least for, by for the, the time. Code, yeah, for the code code finished, finished, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just on the books. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and there's a lot of learning, uh, a huge yeah. investment just to just to be familiar with the game. But you know, people like that depth. I mean, when it is your main and almost only hobby, mm-hmm. uh, is that one particular game? Then then you there's no end to how much you can invest in it. As as you know, and yeah, you know, you invest the time and the money to do to do that to get your models. If you want to go, you want to go. Get into some real collector's edition miniatures. You have Forge World there to support that end of the habit um, with all their books and uh, and models. Yeah, and there's no end, no end to how much effort and money you can put into it. Indeed, yeah. And so, for, for, from a, a design point of view, um, it's hard to say if one approach is better than another. I guess it's quite subjective. But yeah, entirely think, subjective, think... and and including a lot of nerd rage in there as well, with the, <laughs> with the deep emotions that we have that you can't separate out the design from the the game design, from the miniature design, from the uh, business model that the Games Workshop are doing because they're all tied in together with each other. Uh, yeah, but I think we we can you can look at just the the design of the game as it is. Yeah, you know, and just comment on that. Regardless yeah. of what what kind of business model they're they're taking, what approach they're taking, uh, I can understand their reasons for it, but it doesn't mean that the design's different or the design's any better or or necessarily worse because of a business model. Um, yeah, because yeah, we want it, we want to separate out the games. Let's try and as best we can to separate. Out the game's design from from the business model because otherwise well i think for the last five minutes we've been talking about how much things cost with games workshop and uh yeah, yeah so that, that can lead that can just lead us into a into a into a geek for geek rage spiral so <laughs> we want to avoid that at all costs yeah yeah because the inter Too god tiring. knows the internet has Far too much of that already. <laughs> okay, so really? well, we'll talk as as it, it simply there simply is this depth, and but we shan't make a value. We shan't make a value judgment on it. No. But I think from a games point of view, games design point of view, it's it's you know it's fair to to look at that and to say, you know, 
okay, if you're going with that design, with that level of depth, that level of need and system mastery, then you are creating barriers to, to play, barriers to entry. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking about, entry level. I mean, people came by, people walk by mobile frame zero, well, nobody walks by. Everybody, everybody turned to look. Wow, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, we're playing war games with Lego, with Lego figures, and uh, on Lego terrain, and we're having, and we're, everyone was clearly having fun, but still thinking about it and thinking. As as a player there, I'm thinking everybody, everybody else would be loving to play this, but I'm playing it. <laughs> <laughs> Look at us! Aren't we cool? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but kids are coming by, you know. Yeah, uh, kids are brought in by by their folks, um, and they were just they were just wowed by it, you know. Yeah, it's like one kid said, "Oh, you've combined two of the coolest things, like yeah. robots." <laughs> we were like, "Yes, we have." Well, Vince Baker has, and we're just playing it, but <laughs> yeah, it's a great game. Uh, so. Right, yeah, so that immediately accessible because mm -hmm. everyone has some Lego sitting by. Well, many people have Lego sitting by. I know I've got a bucket of it, which is probably earmarked for my nephew. Oh, you're going to steal your nephew's present now to build mechs. It's mine. It's, it's mine. <laughs> <laughs> it's my Lego. Oh, it's still your Lego. Oh, well, fair enough. Then. Yeah. But that's the other nice thing about Mobile Frame Zero, though. You don't have to use Lego, although it's all, all built around using Lego and stuff. You know, the rules are generic. There's, if you wanted to just have a have a go with it, and you didn't have Lego. You can use anything. Miniatures, yeah. Miniatures, yeah. Matchboxes, cardboard cutouts doesn't doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. You know? There isn't a range. There isn't a range. There are suggestions for how to build it, and Lego just has to be that. Nothing wrong with putting out your Warhammer forests as 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 terrain. Although you, there are rules for taking it apart, you can you can figure something out. And I think the whole the whole um, ethos of, of the game, which comes through, uh, starting from the folk who have been demoing it to us, are that it is a fun game, and there shouldn't be a bar there shouldn't be barriers to joining. Uh, no, exactly. It's about yeah, set, set your Lego up, build your train, and, and just throw it on and have a have a game. Yeah. Um, and and it is simple enough to pick up that you pick it up quickly. Um, and I think that's that's an important thing to consider in, in design. Just consider like whether you want the you know the super deep game where a lot of the strategy and and tactics and exploration of that system comes from just getting really deep into the crunch and figuring out combos and um, things like that and obscure units and, and law and stuff um, or whether you want it a lot more kind of transparent and upfront and like this is it this is what you've got mm -hmm. you know go play with that and it's more about um, I suppose it's more about the kind of maneuvers on, on the table at that level rather than having lots of sneaky tricks yeah, having the having those items, having those magic items sitting by, like in fantasy, that are kind of on on your secret list in front of you, uh, that you're just trying to trying to catch your opponent out with. Yeah, or just a combo that your your opponent hasn't encountered before, doesn't doesn't know the power of, and you kind of 
win with that or using that as your major strategy whereas um, in mobile phone there's nothing like that so everyone's you know what everyone's got you know well there are no factions currently either there's just there's just your build and whichever build you decide to go with yeah exactly um, whatever your strategy is for for your squad or your what do you call them uh, companies companies yeah yeah Another thing is though the level of with the level of fluff that you've got with the level of backstory. I mean, mm-hmm. where you, your your main concern is is creating an army that fits the that fits the backstory. Black Library of as uh, Games Workshop's uh, novel publishers who produce a huge amount of of, of stories. You might want to make you could create an entire army themed. On the army in that particular book, um, you know, as some as, as as a company that's been going for what thirty years making these making these intellectual properties, yeah, a huge rich um, background to fall back on and, and to inspire you. And that's an interesting point about the idea of, of theming an army, and whether um, you know whether in order to. F- because there's nothing to stop you theming an army in in mobile frame zero. Like you'll have a theme no, yeah. for your units in that. But it's whether you want that theme to also have um, some specific crunchy bits that make it different to someone else's army, or whether you feel like if if it was just a purely fluff theme, it wouldn't have the same. Um, I don't know the same kind of grab factor or something, or wouldn't feel. As satisfying, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it, it seems getting gonna get j- dangerously close to nerd rage again. But try, I'll try, I'll try and keep keep a lid on it. It seems like the entry. We're talking about mobile frame zero as an entry level game. Yeah. Um, do you feel? I certainly feel that there really isn't a, an entry. An entry level game doesn't really exist. Games Workshop intro entry level forty k game is forty k. Yeah, it's forty k. It's um, they try you get ten years. Yeah, they get ten year olds to buy the buy the box set and tell them how to play that, and that's their. Or, you can't play it out of the box, really, can you? It's almost unplayable. Um, it's, well, it's got like little entry scenarios and stuff where you use the forty oh, in the box, yeah. but it's but it's not. But that's very different to the actual game. I think it's very different to the, to the most forces that you, most armies that people will, will rock up to a games night with. Yeah, um, it does it. It does a reasonable job of like introducing the basics, but it is only the basics, and it. it you know, very quickly gets very complex. I think, and you know, that complexity is a is a bit of a barrier to to play. Mm-hmm. Um, even in like the latest edition of Fortnite, I think it's kind of got more complicated. Like when they did third edition, they kind of stripped it all back. That was pretty good, and that that simplified a lot of things. But it's almost like a lot of things that they've simplified. They've now got so many special rules and exceptions that it gets back to almost the level of complexity that, like second edition yeah. Golden Eagle was. Just flicking, just flicking through the 40k rulebook, um, it does see. It seemed awfully like that. The game itself, the core rules, are really quite simple. 
There's not yeah. much to them. But half of the rules are, but you've got this as well. And you've got it's all it's all these layers built on top of it. Um and you see, you know, you've got these warlord rules which don't seem to going back to going back to time again, uh, as we have so so often on this podcast, yeah. Is it worth spending that time at the start of your start of your game? Mm. Are you getting that much more fun for spending five to ten minutes working this stuff out a lot a lot of what i've heard about these psychic rules these psychic powers are they're just not worth it into you know you do it because you give a little bit of a bonus to you but are they worth are they worth spending all that time on at the start of the game would you rather just get into it hmm yeah and as, as another you know another another element another bit of depth but then another area that requires you know, learning that knowledge, gaining mastery of it in order to play the full game. Yeah. Like you need to know how. I've, I've played a couple of games of the latest Fort K, but I don't. I can't remember how the psychic powers work. It's not the same as magic in uh, yeah. fantasy battle. Um, well, so I'd have to reread that and go back. It's so much to do with you generate psychic points, and then you can spend it to do stuff. And but, so I'd have, to, I'd have to go. That you know, exactly. That's that's a barrier to me, who's been playing Forty K on and off for I don't know, ten years, fifteen yeah. years, and yeah, that's a barrier for me for my next Forty K game. Unless I play my town, I'd have to worry about psychic powers. But or unless I bring an ally who's got yeah. psychic powers. Uh, so, <laughs> but if I want to play the the Chaos Marines and take a sorcerer, then I'm gonna have to read upon how psychic powers actually work. Yeah, but you know, uh, but then you have. Yeah, we're much more familiar with fantasy. Certainly, currently, I am, and yeah. you know, the picking out the magic spells in that, which is a very deep, uh, a very deep bit of, uh, of the game, is actually worth it because they're powered enough. You know, a lot of the game is based on the, the magic spells, and it's worth spending the time to do that at the start because it will have an effect later on. Whereas, if you start rolling up the, uh, if you select the very special terrain. Um, That's a big investment. Serious terrain stuff. Yeah. Oh yeah. Where the, the bonuses that they give versus the the time the time you have to invest is is really probably probably not worth it. You know, is it worth it for for getting another one more paradise for being six inches from this particular piece of terrain that you've forgotten what it is because there are four or five other bits of terrain with slight bonuses or penalties? Um, mm. Yeah. Yeah, it does stray into like complexity for complexity. Say, uh, I don't know what you mean. Yeah. The, the trade-off's not not really there. It doesn't add enough to the game to be worth the investment and time of, of rolling up all this stuff and then remembering what it is and how it changes the system. Yeah. On the flip side of that, I I don't know if I if I play ten to twelve games of um, mobile frame zero. Yeah, will it get well, to a point where yeah? You just think I I know this game now I get it I I feel like I've I know the optimum strategies and there's nothing you know it loses its appeal I don't know yeah. and eventually everybody if if it comes under as much scrutiny uh, and and uh, real life play as forty uh, k does or as fantasy does. Yeah. Then you'll find yourself. Then, then you'll, there'll be maybe two optimum builds, and 
yeah. uh, which fight which fight off against each other. Yeah, Although Doctor uh, Strange is looking good. Yeah. <laughs> Although uh, there's one thing that fixes that with with that, and that's the. The fact that all the demo games we were playing were three-player, three-way, three-way matches, so you actually have a, a, a meta, a meta game to uh, mitigate that one one side becomes particularly powerful. Um, yeah, and and leaves you freer, I suppose, to pick different um, uh, different builds. Yeah, that's and that's interesting. That's another way it, it changes and, and diverges from 40k, which is very much a, a one-on-one game, even with yeah. allies. It's you know one team taking on another team. It's you know player A's turn, then player B's turn. Whereas Mobile Frame Zero, uh, and theoretically you could have about six people playing a game, I suppose, without it getting too unwieldy. I think if you had a big enough table. Yeah. Uh, because you know, you always know whose turn it's going to be next, and the activation system, you know, keeps things moving and, and draws people into the game as soon as they're involved in like firefights and stuff. Yeah, so. you're not you're not having to wait, uh, or probably not having to wait, you know, for all other five players to play. At some point, they're going to shoot at your, they're going to try shooting at your uh, model, and then you're in, in the game and you're doing something. Yeah. So I think that adds, adds another level of, of strategic complexity then, the, the um, multiple players and you know, the chance for alliances to form and break apart and the politics and backstabbing. And the, yeah. you know, he's powerful now, so we'll gang up and take him down. Yeah. And all, What's know. that sort of meta, meta gaming uh, yeah. really? Is. It's, out, it's outside the design of the game, but is an inevitable... Uh, an inevitable uh, byproduct of it. I mean, I, I yeah. my first game on Saturday, I, I ganged up on. Uh, did I gang up on you? No, no, you weren't playing. So. I was. Yeah, I was, no, playing, no, sorry, I was playing Saturday. I was a, a very strategic in encouraging you two to not gang up on me, <laughs> so I could hide <laughs> them back and win. <laughs> that was it. Sorry, no, I'm talking about Saturday's game where uh, myself and. Uh, this guy Al we were playing with, uh, basically he found himself in the middle and shot up quite badly by both myself and Colin. Uh, in the end I said, right, you can turn yourself around, don't worry about me, I'm going to, uh, I'll, I'll help you against him. Uh, because otherwise, well, actually, part, well, well, part of the reason was he was about to get crushed from both sides, it wouldn't have been very much fun for him. <laughs> the, the other reason was, uh, yeah, I could see Colin winning, actually. So uh, we then had, uh, you know, we had a, a sort of a coalition uh, to to take on, to take him on. And I lost because I forgot about the objectives of the mission. <laughs> <laughs> so, But yeah, it's, it's good that there's that scope for that kind of turnaround. And it makes sense, like, logically, from what you're saying, you were like, well... I can see this guy's going to get wiped out, and it, you know, it's nice to to give him a fun game. But but strategically as well, you're like, well, but I could really do with him either as a, a buffer, or to take on Colin because I'm probably not going to be able to, to destroy Colin's company on my own. Yeah, yeah. So you get all those all those things coming in in multiplayer games. Then I mean, it extends to um, RPGs as well. If you look at like D and D Fourth Edition, um, in fact, all, all the D and Ds, but for Fourth Edition. From what I've I've seen of it, you know, reading through the player's handbook, it strikes me as a game where you need a 
great deal of, of mastery of the system to be yeah. able to fully engage in that because there's there's so many powers and stunts and skills. Yeah. But it's not just it's not just D and D. Any of the the big book the big book game. Why well, should not big books? Any of the big system games. I talk about Role Master, um, <laughs> the yeah. the forty the Warhammer forty k games. Um, uh, what what else comes with big big rule sets? Um, anyway, that that sort of thing. Yeah, the yeah. entry level is, is 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 huge. I mean, you, there is an entire dialogue within that, or you know, w- within uh, these systems. You could you could have somebody talking about it. You would have no idea. You could be playing it for a whole week, and yeah, you know, you could read read the read the player's handbook, and then still find that there's all these expansions that other other people know about and, and you can't even enter into a conversation about it yeah and then they release splat books on top of it and then someone comes oh. up and tells you about their 80th level character built with this optimum build and this crazy combo that they've got as if you know what the heck they're on about yeah. <laughs> no, you don't have a clue yeah but just smile politely and walk towards the door <laughs> But you know, but I'm 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 definitely far preferring uh rules like games. This Yggdrasil play uh, game game we've been playing, uh the French Viking. Not about French Vikings, but it's a game about Vikings from France. Um seemed pretty light. Uh there is there's a very simple looking sort of character sheet and it seems to let you get on with the job of, of playing the scenario. Uh I keep going on about over the edge. And the more I think about it, the more the more cool I think it is because it's very little in terms of uh, rules, and most of the game must have been most of the book. It's a big book, which is why I'm making the distinction earlier on. Uh, it's it's mostly about setting. Uh, yeah, that was an example of, of how the rules could be used and stuff. Yeah. A bit like Mobile Frame Zero because that's a pretty thick book, but the vast majority of it is kind of setting and examples yeah. and ideas. The, the rules themselves are only a few. Pages long. Oh, and just like the Games Workshop, but a bit it ha- uh, books, it has to have the the bit the hobby section at the back of how to put together things with how to put together um, you know, tips on how to build your models and customize your models. Yeah, which is, is nice and, and useful. Um, definitely, uh, system mastery. It is. It is a. a a tricky thing because sometimes I do like that depth. Like in Warhammer, I do quite enjoy the depth and looking for the combos and the optimal builds. But at the same time, it's it's sometimes a bit frustrating. I mean, once you've bought into a system, it makes you less likely to try something else. Like you were talking about Malifaux earlier. And yeah. I was, part of it, I really like the models. And I would quite like to try it, but at the same time, I'm just thinking I just don't know if I can just try getting into another game system when I've already got all these. Minis and that you've never even put on the table. I've never even put on the table, and that I don't. You know, I've already got a game yeah. system or two that I don't play that often. Well, here's another. How about another? Uh, there's another sort of subgenre of game of 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 of, of sports sports miniatures games you've got, which is basically Blood Bowl. Yeah. And and Dread Ball. I'd love to play Dread Ball. It looks great. I've not heard a bad, yeah. bad thing about it. Um, the rules sound really quick. You get a game done in an hour. You, um, it seems really streamlined, whereas Blood Bowl can take a couple hours or, or, or a bit more. Um, yeah. But 
I've not gotten nearly as much as I can out of my Blood Bowl models yet. Yeah, me too. I'm exactly the same. I you know, went through a, a Blood Bowl splurge like last year and, and got a load of the teams and still haven't finished painting most of them and have barely played it, but you know, I really like it and really look forward to getting a chance to do that. And I'm thinking I don't want to invest in, in Dread Bowl or something else until I've at least painted the Blood Bowl yeah. figures and played a few more games with them. Um, yeah, I think a lot of people have sort of bought into a lot of games recently with Kickstarter. I think, mm. I think I get the impression people are starting to realise that they have sort of three boxes on their shelves that they've not they've not played they've not played with yet, and another three on their way. Uh, for you know, they've done Zombie Side and uh, Kings of War and Dread Ball on 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 Spotify on Spotify on. A Kickstarter, yeah. And then they've gone out and they've got a few more on the way. They're realizing the ones that they've got are all the all the stretch goals are taking a while to come through, and people are thinking, "Oh, hang on, there's only so many games you can play." Mm. Yeah, that's it. And then you've got to pick which ones. Uh, which ones do you have the the time to pick up? And it's something that's hard to get into. Yeah, which ones have you got the time to teach someone else how to play? Although I've actually just made the opposite argument. I mean, where Dreadball is a one that's easier to get into, but I've 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 invested. Well, maybe so much rules in wise. Yeah, maybe rules yeah. wise, but then you've still got to to buy it and and buy the minis, assemble the minis, paint the minis, learn the rules, and teach someone else the rules. Sing the theme tune. <laughs> yeah. Theme to theme tune. Right, yeah. Are there any other genres we can, uh, where where this where this applies? Um, I think with with sort of collectible card games and living card games. Oh yeah, they, yeah, collectible card games definitely. I should talk about that because yeah, Magic's a good example because the mastery required to play Magic at any sort of competitive level is just ridiculous and never ends because there's always new sets coming out that you have to invest in. And Master and know what combos are coming up and what the the new rules text means, but uh, it's hard. It's a dead but simple is game. That, is that is that a rules design issue, or is it just the uh, the 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 business model? It's well, it's uh, the game as it is. You can't really distinguish the two, can you? I don't think it's not the rules design as it was originally designed, but as the game exists now, that's what it is. I suppose it's like a it's a really big step up from playing just friendly, casual games to wanting to play in any sort of competitive tournament environment for Magic. Yeah, I mean, if you look at, uh, I've got, I got the starter kit and a few and a few of the uh, big expansions for Game of Thrones Living Card Game. Yeah, uh, I don't have a single legal deck made up, but I've I've kind of decided, but because I'm only ever going to be playing my friends, I've got five decks that I've balanced out against each other for for the for the main houses, mm-hmm. and. I can just I can just bust that out and have a, and have a game of that because uh, the design of it it's actually a relatively simple game the the, the the rules design it's the business model that actually complicates things and make it makes it harder to get into because they need to sell more cards to to and then design to design new games uh, to keep the in, to keep their 
you know, to keep their company going. Yeah. That's fancy flight just now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I think that's an interesting distinction between the, the living card games and the collectible card games, because the living card games, um, although can be very complicated and have a you know, reasonably high level of mastery, but it'll always be less than the collectible card games, because it's easy to get a full set and you know what cards are out there for a living card game. Like everyone's on the... You know, if you make a, a reasonable investment, yeah. you can have a full set, whereas a collectible card game, you have to spend a small fortune to get a full set of the current set yeah. until the next set comes out. Game of Thrones is is was a collectible card game. Yeah, that's where the Netrunner as well, isn't it? Netrunner was a collectible yeah, they, they've, um... and now But I think it becomes simpler once they change. The, the mastery reduces because um, because it, it's a it's a closed set. Yeah. And it's, and it's easier to acquire. Like, yeah. I, like I've said, which is, yeah, it is, it is the business model, but it's also part of the ongoing design, I think, of that game. Like, they've designed it to work in a certain way. They've designed, because they, uh, the, part of the design is, is um, you know, taking into account the metagame. So that's what all, Magic was all about, it was all about, like, designing a game that would revolve around the metagame of different colours being good against each other. And then players adapting. But, yeah, and it was supposed to be a quick game as well. Yeah, that's some and a simple yeah. game. Yeah, but still, as I suppose at its heart, I mean, it's got it's got the your your basic rules are largely the same. Yeah, and that that's it. That's why it's it's a, a strange case because it's basic. I think it is a quite a simple game that doesn't require a vast amount of rules mastery to start playing to pick up a. A deck like when I first started playing years ago, um, you know, there was just someone in the, the local gaming shop who was putting together decks of like common cards or like Warden Common in that you could buy for three quid or something and play a game. And it was the way it was structured was simple enough to pick up the rules or with a bit of in- intuition you could read what it meant. And like I, I figured out I could tap a Lanoir Elf for mana, even though the, the, my mate who was teaching me the game didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> thing, things like that, um, but it rapidly becomes so complex when you get all the all the card types and all the combos in that uh, it rec- yeah the mastery just learning curve so steep from a game that, that its heart are quite simple mechanics to pick up. So it's it's interesting. Yeah. So I wonder what Richard Garfield makes of it. Like well. Um, thousands, you know, right? Yes, yeah, <laughs> thousands of it. But I wonder if if he's. I think the, the original simpler, smaller set was kind of probably closer to his his vision of what it was going to be, like a simple, quick card game you could play in half an hour or so. Yeah, that made him um, hundreds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think I think overall I'm probably in, in favour of more rules light. Games simpler, easier to get into that rely on uh, depth from in-game choices rather than pre-game mastery of the system. Yeah, yeah, I'll 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 second that nowadays anyway. Yeah, if that's the right one or not. <laughs> okay, so cool. um, are we? I think that's that's us for this time. This uh, episode six. Is it episode six. It's episode seven, man. Episode seven. Lucky seven.
Lucky seven, episode seven. Oh, flying without Colin. How have we managed? How have we got this far? I don't know. <laughs> uh, next time, uh, what do we? What, what do you think we might talk about next time? Should we return to uh, Cthulhu's cosmic cobalt commandos? Maybe even try and get like a playtest ready version to have a muck about with. Yeah. If you want to get in touch with us, uh, you can do so on Twitter. We've got uh, there's myself Gra- at Grant Sensei on on the Twitter. Yes, I said the Twitter. Um, Joe, where are you going to get you? You can get me at at Joe J Prince on t- Twitter, or there's at Gamer Colin. For our erstwhile compatriot. Yeah, you can leave comments. Uh, certainly, we're, look, we're looking for feedback. We're looking for feedback. Uh, if you go to dicingwithdesign.com and just uh, click on our uh, on this episode seven and uh, put in a comment on there, we've had uh, some more feedback in uh, since the pre- our last episode. Uh, it's always good to know there are hundreds of you. Colin's just told us hundreds of people downloading this. So. Uh, yeah, keep listening. Keep up the yeah. good work. Good ears. Well done, folks. <laughs> good listening. And, good listening uh, there. Let us know what you think. If you think, uh, certainly we've had uh, feed, feedback that maybe our, our opening section's going on going on for yeah. a wee bit. Um, That'd be great. Or any design-related topics you would like us to explore or focus on be mm-hmm. would be grand. So fire away with them. Yeah, and then there's also our, our email address. Here it is. It's podcast at dicingwithdesign.com. Uh, right, so that just leaves us saying goodbye. And uh, thanks for listening, and we'll see you uh, next time. Thanks for listening. Bye. We need jingles. It's the main topic, the topic, main topic, which we talk about quite a lot. we got to be a focused discussion. Ish. Eh. But then you've still got to, to buy it and, and buy the minis, assemble the minis, paint the minis, learn the rules and teach someone else the rules. Sing the theme tune. Yeah. Sing the theme tune. Dreadball is a dreadball game. Do 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 It's nothing like Blood Bowl, honestly. Like Blood Bowl, because it's in space. Do 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 was uh, the Dreadball theme tune by Dennis Waters. <laughs> <laughs> um, have we uh, have we started to sing at each other now? <laughs> Is it time to start thinking about rapping?